Welcome to the GenesisChurch.tv podcast with Scott Hunter. I'm your host, lead pastor of Genesis, Scott Hunter. Today is the rebroadcast of week four of our current series, Unshaken, the book of Daniel. I pray this brings you hope and encouragement as we fight similar battles that Daniel faced. Thanks for tuning in. So, Unshaken, we are in week four of this bad boy, and we are teaching on Daniel. Who is Daniel? Recap it. It's just basically, you're hearing the story of a Jewish prisoner of war who was basically raised up into power, becoming second in command of the most powerful kingdom of earth that was not his, the Babylon or the Babylonian kingdom. And, and this was around 606 BC. And so you see that Daniel has this strange time on earth that reflects a lot of, of what we're going through. It's hauntingly similar uh, of what we're going through now. There were cultural wars. There were actual wars. There was a crisis right and left. Abundance of people who worshipped anything and everything other than the one true God. And Daniel, like us, had to make a stand. Had to stand unshaken to teach the truth. So we've been talking about how the workings and the gifting of the Spirit of God was all over Daniel before the, the gifts of the Spirit were ever penned in the New Testament. Daniel had the ten times anointing poured out over his life, and so we are the walking, talking New Testament believers, the living examples of Jesus Christ, and we have the same opportunity to use and exhibit those gifts that were on Daniel. We've highlighted some of those things. We talked about words of wisdom and words of knowledge. We've talked about how he had the spirit of discernment. And last week, we talked about prophecy. Everybody say prophecy. Today, we're going to dive deeper a little bit into that conversation about prophecy because this book takes this, this completely different turn. It's just a huge veer off from what was happening before. It moves to a book of eschatology. Everybody say eschatology. Well, there you go. You sound very, like, much theologians, right? It just means the doctrine of last things. So it switches from this bibliography, right? Or bibliography, an autobiography. Scott, your brain needs to function. All right. And then it switches to this moment where we see that he's dealing with prophecies of events in world history that are to come, leading up even to the second coming of Jesus Christ and the inauguration of the eternal kingdom of God here on earth. And so what I'm doing is I'm going to lay down this foundation. I'm going to prep you for the next two weeks where we're going to dig deep into this. But before we go there, let me set up what prophecy actually looks like uh, and, and how God's timing and how God's thinking is completely different than ours, okay? So in Luke's gospel, Jesus shows up on the scene. It's his first, I guess basically his First maybe major address, you could say. And he goes into public, into the temple, and the book of Isaiah is opened up on the scroll. And he walks into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he declares as he reads what was written in Scripture is the truth about who he is. He says, I have come to set the captives free. Now, when we hear that, we tend to think legal terms, right? Like it's your get out of jail free car. There's my Monopoly one. I loved that car when I was a kid. I was like, yes, right? But that get out of free card has a different dimension than what we just see with our eyes. Meaning that we have freedom found in Christ. Yes, we are justified by faith. 
it's as if I have never sinned, that I've been forgiven completely. Everything that is from my past is forgotten. That is just by virtue of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, by you and I believing and asking for forgiveness, it's done. It's a done deal. But let me tell you something. There's more to the card. It goes beyond that. Jesus came to add a new degree of freedom to your life, to give you an extra dimensional reality to your life. You are not just here on this earth as a natural being. You are a spirit man, a spirit woman. So he then enables us and allows us to escape the the time and space limitations like where you are right now in the present and everywhere where you have been in your past, right? But he, and he says, I'm going to let you maneuver in a new way through the help of the Holy Spirit. That's what the gifts of the Spirit of God is like. And that's where you can find it all in 1 Corinthians, uh, where it talks about discernment and miracles. And when we begin to exercise those gifts, like healing and faith, things that are like outside the normal realm of everything that you see, right? Words of prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Life gets altered from what. I've done, or where I am now, and God is basically saying, here's a new dimension of life, and it's done by the Spirit of God over you, in you, through you, and it's not going to just affect the now, the present, but the future. It's where heaven invades earth. It's where eternity messes up and invades your time scale. It's where God moves in ridiculous kind of ways. We're like, well, that can't be done, and he says, (laughs) I am the God of the impossible. And we're like, that's just impossible for our understanding of time, and and it messes with us. So let me get real nerd on you right now and take you to a whole nother level. 2 Peter 3.8 says, With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. That makes no sense to us, right? In our finite understanding about how time works. Newsflash. God does not exist within the space-time dimensions that he created. God is the eternal now. All we've ever known is the past, right? Present, and then we prepare for the future, but we're not there, but he is. So it's, it's very difficult for our minds to kind of conceive of anything else from beginning, middle, and end. It's, our brains are hardwired to think that way, beginning, middle, and end. Every book, every story, right? Beginning, middle, and end. Yet God has always been. God will always be. And if you are a believer, you have inherited that eternity as well. Let your mind bend and warp on that. So I set this up today to boggle your mind with this conversation that makes you say, I need another cup of coffee. This is a lot. Or what in the world did they put in Pastor Scott's coffee? How many dumps of espresso did the cafe do to him today? I'm wired and I'm ready. Can you at least acknowledge, or at least just sense maybe this mysterious presence of God moving at, at this time, like God is moving outside the box that we like to stick him in, God is moving outside of space and time parameters, God still does miracles. If you're part of this church, you've witnessed them this year. And, and, and when we look all around and we see him doing amazing things, but we don't got a category for that, Right? for God moving like this, or God moving like that, outside of what our mind can grasp. And so what do we do a lot of times? So we explain it away. We're like, well, that was a fluke, or that was a phenomenon, right? Or that simply really, that just didn't happen. Someone 
someone made that movie up on iPhone and they just did a little trickery, right? Or we do this. We attribute human characteristics or behavior to God. Instead of us being made in his likeness, we like to say that God is made in our likeness. God is created in our image. And we put God in this four-dimensional little box and we end up with a God who never surprises us, who never astonishes us, who never overwhelms us or transcends us. And we think, well, God, God just doesn't do that. That's impossible. But that's what the Spirit's gifts are. That's what they are to us. He allows us to exercise spiritual gifts that make the impossible actually possible. And I cannot explain, you know, in finite understanding inside of our space and time constructs, how I have laid hands on adults or held a little baby's hand and prayed for their healing. And then a report comes back that everything that was taking away their life is gone, fixed, healed. And we're still like, well, didn't the medicine just really kick in? Or, you know, were they really sick to begin with? Or maybe it was just a faulty diagnosis up front. There was a moment where I prayed over a girl in my youth group. Her name was Autumn, and she was born with a birth defect. She had very brittle arms, little arms that were bent. And uh, one time she was hurting for months because there was a break in her forearm that would not heal. So she went to Shans, and they did an experimental surgery on her, and they took out the section that was broken that would not heal and put in a cadaver bone and put new bone marrow and, and then put a, a metal brace on top. A plate and screwed it in hoping that the bone would begin to heal and strengthen and uh, she went with additional weeks of pain and she said she could feel it moving so they went and had an x-ray in her arm where the bone was put in her body absorbed it and it was gone and the only thing holding her little arm in place was a plate with screws and she could feel it moving back and forth and was unbelievably in pain the night before she was going to go back to Shans for them to try to fix this, we laid hands on her. And your students gathered around her. And she walked away saying, my arm doesn't hurt, Pastor Scott. She went back the, the very next day. The plate was there, and so was the bone, completely healed. And you have x-rays before and after. So today... I pray that the hammer of a higher God smashes your cosmos and blows your mind about what is possible and that the God of the impossible invades your life, intervenes your situation and impacts your reality. That is my prayer for you over the next few weeks because that's what prophecy does. That's what God does when he works outside the parameters of what you are able to comprehend. Let me kind of break this down and simplify it. Let's give you two upfront ideas. If you're taking notes, it's a good day to take notes. Number one, you need to write down God is bigger than big. Easy words to understand. God is bigger than big. Hard to actually comprehend. The technical word is transcendence. Isaiah 55, 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. So are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The smartest person on earth, God surpasses them a mile a minute. Not only is his thinking and his creativity and his governance and his sovereignty and his power and his omnipresence outside our space and our comprehension, our scope, but the God of the impossible, 
is working the impossible through us. Let that freak you out. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. So not only is God bigger than big, God is also, number two, closer than close. Psalm 35, 5-6 says, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice is like the great deep. Your love, God. You, Lord, your love preserves both people and animals. God's love is meteoric. His loyalty is, is astronomic. His purpose is titanic. His virtue, his justice is oceanic. Yet in his largeness, in his vastness, in his transcendence, nothing gets lost. Not a man, not a mouse slips through the crack. God is not great where he is just so great for us to be like, well, you're just so big. You're too big for me. No, 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 no. God is so great because nothing is too small for him. What you worry about, what you think about, what you go in and out of daily life looking to accomplish things that you have on your plate, all those things matter to him. He is God most high, but he is also God most nigh. That means God is close right there, right as your very next breath. Well, what does that have to do with the book of Daniel? Absolutely everything. Let me connect some of these dimensional dots. And uh, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. And if you have your Bibles, bring them out right now, open them up. But as you read your Bibles today, I want you to ask, how does God work in the impossible? Does God still do this? Well, God is the God that split the Red Sea for the Israelites. God is the same God who told the sun to stand still for Joshua. God is the God that sent the Baltimore Ravens in to feed Elijah, right? God had a ginormous fish swallow Jonah, let Jonah camp out inside and not get eaten up by body acid, then spit him back out and he was A-OK. -okay and then went and did what he was supposed to do in the first place. He stopped fire from burning up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even though the people that threw him in all died instantaneously because the fire was so hot. And then they walked out after having a fourth man in the fire, not even smelling like smoke. He commanded the lions that they would shut their mouths and not touch Daniel. All of this, God made provision. He made a way where there was no way. God did the impossible. If you're taking notes, jot this down. When God gives a vision, he always makes provision. When God says, here's what I have called you to do in your life, I am going to make a way, even though it seems impossible. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which... God prepared in advance for us to do. Before you were born, God had mapped out a job for you to do in this earth. Philippians 1, 6, here's some more prophecy. He who began a good work in you will carry it out unto completion until the day that Jesus Christ shows back on this earth. That is a prophecy for each of our lives that God has planned for you, that you have a plan and a purpose that you are destined to live out if you will just do life and relationship with him, if you will just walk in his will. And if you want to understand prophecy, I, I think we start right there. So that's the backdrop, right? And we're going to jump into Daniel 7. 
And Daniel 7 is considered, honestly, by Jewish scribes to be the greatest chapter in all of Hebrew Scripture. So it's a pretty big deal, okay? The first half, biographical. Second half, apocalyptic, all right? We take a hard right turn in the middle of chapter 7. We transition from history to prophecy. Daniel puts on a prophetic hat, and he pushes back the curtain so that you can see, and he peers into the future, and he reveals what God shows him and writes it down for all of us. Four visions. We're going to talk about a few of them over the next few weeks. So here we go. We're going to start in Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, we talked about him last week, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was laying in bed. He wrote down the substance of this dream. Second Peter 2 tells us, guys, that prophecy, it does not come from the man. It does not come from an origin or a will of a human being, but prophets through them. Although they are just human, God spoke, and they speak as the mouthpiece of God as he carries them along by the power and under the influence of the Spirit of God. In Daniel chapter 1 through 6, Daniel is the interpreter of dream. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel becomes the dreamer of dreams. And he wrote down the dream for you and I to understand. Verse 2, Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and therefore before me were four winds of heaven churning up the great sea, four great beasts, each different from the others. They came up out of the sea. So to, so to an ancient reader, for those that would understand this, would see that the sea being conjured up means impending evil, impending doom. And there's this battle that is now brewing, that's growing between right and wrong, between good and evil, between political and social agitation stirring up the nations of the world, and it's hitting pretty close to home right now. What do we do? What do you do when political winds begin to blow? What do you do when social norms become not norms anymore and like windstorms start ripping the fabric of our society apart? What do we do as followers of Christ? To me, the book of Daniel points to this and reminds us that we have dual citizenship. Dual, two. Most of us are United States citizens. We can believe that, hey, yeah, it is our civic duty to exercise our rights as Americans to go and vote, to be you know, jurors on jury duty, like do all the things that you're supposed to do as a great citizen. This is a nonpartisan church. Listen, you're not going to get me to affiliate this church with one candidate or another. I've had lots of people who want to come and speak and use this pulpit to kind of tell you what you should vote for or who you should vote for. And I'm like, mm, yeah, one, I don't have a pulpit. It's a table. And two, you're not coming here. Um, we got people on both sides of the aisles at Genesis. It's, it's, it's partisan, meaning that I don't care what you believe, but I do care in the political process. I think you should be a part of it. But we don't always agree on everything, and that's okay. But as followers of Christ, we have to realize that our primary citizenship is not this. Our primary citizenship, we belong to the kingdom of God. We don't put our hope in hashtags. We don't put our faith in political ideologies. I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. That's my identity. That, my friends, is the hope of glory. And we pray this way that would be that name. Lord, your kingdom come to this earth. Let your will be done like you want it done, Lord. That's being worked out in heaven every day, Lord. Let that be here. That's precisely what happens in verse 18. But before we go there, look at verse 3. He sees this vision of four beasts coming out of the sea in succession. 
And then in verse 8, it says this little horn comes out of ten horns, toots his horn, speaks with tremendous arrogance. Verse 24 said that he will speak words against the Most High God and that he will wear out the saints. So we're going to unpack some of that eschatology in chapter 9. In fact, we're going to hit a lot about that little horn. It has to do with the Antichrist and and the coming of the the age in which he will will have his, his stint on earth where He's allowed to do what he needs to do to bring up the end in sight and, and come back in the next two weeks. There's your teaser, all right? But here's the bottom line. Daniel is giving us a forecast of these four kingdoms that are going to come out of the sea. And he's speaking about the powers that will emerge in the last day. They're going to control the world's economy, food supply, military power, energy, and governments. It's not a great forecast. It says that difficult days are ahead, right? It's not what that prophet wanted to speak. (laughs) And guess what? It's not what the people want to hear. That it's bad and it's going to get worse. But just when it seems like all is lost. Daniel has another vision that totally flips the script. In verse 9, it's almost like, like a set change in theater and then like you got this crazy transition where there's a brand new cast and all new people on stage and there's this change of perspective that happens. Look at verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. His hair (laughs) of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like a prophet who is having a hard time describing a God who is omnidimensional. That's a pretty powerful crazy statement right there. And, and the only place in all of Scripture where the Lord is called the Ancient of the Days is right here in this verse. I want you to notice where he is. He is where the Ancient of Days in the midst of all the stuff that's unraveling on the earth. Where is the Ancient of Days in the midst of all the rebellion against him and everything that is good and and pure and righteous and holy. I'll tell you where he is. The ancient of days, God is on his throne. When I looked, verse 11, then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. There's going to be an end to the evil on this earth. The other beasts have been stripped of their authority, but they were allowed to live for a period of time. God takes out Satan. The Antichrist puts an end to the evil's work and authority in this earth, and then it gets better. In verse 13, it says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. In Hebrew, Son of Man, that term is Ben Adam. The designation is used 107 times in the Old Testament, 81 times in the Gospels alone. There are three primary titles given to Jesus Christ in the Gospel. Number one is Son of David, and that just references to his authority as King of kings and Lord of lords, that he is royalty. Then there's the terminology Son of God, which delineates his divinity, that he is God and God alone, and that The third one is the Son of Man. And it underscores His humanity to us. There's so much more to it than that. 
when Jesus self-identifies as the Son of Man, and he does it 14 times in the book of Mark alone, he's saying, I am who Daniel saw. I am the one that fulfills all prophecy. I am the one that will take out Satan and save the day. I am your rescuer. I am the one who will make every wrong now right. I will take care of it all. And it's almost like Jesus raises his hand with all the dominion and all the glory in it. Read verse 14. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations, all people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so there's Daniel, and he's living with this horrific thing that he just saw happening on the earth, yet he still has this awesome dimension of the spirit world that you and I cannot see that's happening. Because no matter what happens on the earth, God is still sitting on his throne. And Daniel finds himself kind of like caught up in the middle of these two visions, the heavenly one and the earthly one. And you've got this earthly one where political uprisings are a mess and there's social unrest. And it feels so much like our world, right? Like our world sometimes just feels like it's unraveling fast. And it's not just in America. Like it's, it's everywhere. There's uprest, like unrest everywhere and upheaval everywhere. And there's this weird vacuum of just leadership to people just to step in and help stop some of these crises. And, but there is hope even when the middle of the mess happens. Why? Because there is that... There's that vision of extra-dimensional reality. It is a heavenly vision that the Ancient of Days, the one who has always been, is always going to be sitting on his throne, and the Son of Man is literally surfing the clouds, and he is going to return. Simply put, God's got this and God's got you. Do not fear, because he holds the end of this story. We may not see it. We may not even understand what is happening in the spirit world right now, but we got this, this weird tension between earth reality and, and heavenly theology. Right now, people are so politically polarized and we're headed into an election again. And it's just going to get nastier and nastier. And this COVID, like, just weird, too weird. Like, it feels like the blip. It feels like we're watching some kind of weird movie. And it, it is heightened unrest. It's made people crazy angry. It's like people are walking around and they're just spewing Twitter everywhere they go, right? And people are tired of rules for, for thee, but not for me. Like, people are just sick of it. And according to 70%, Americans don't agree on anything. But 70% of Americans believe that our nation is headed in a really bad direction. Y'all, that, that's a little disturbing. It makes you feel kind of like your world's being pulled apart by the seams, and one-third of Americans are struggling with anxiety and depression because of this. I want you to know if you're part of that one-third, you're not alone. Listen, even prophets like Daniel struggled with anxiety when he saw the things of upheaval happening around him. Check out verse 15. It says, my spirit was grieved and anxious within me. The visions in my head alarmed me and agitated me. If you aren't a little anxious, if you're not a little agitated about what's happening in the world, then you're really not paying attention to the news. But that doesn't mean that all you do is obsessively watch the news, right? And it doesn't mean that you don't have the peace of God that transcends 
your human understanding and guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus? Because if you're a believer, you do. So when you watch the news, when you see the world, when you read the book of Daniel, what should you be asking? What is God up to? What is God up to? And I think it is this. God is waking us up. God is shaking us up. I think God is kind of shaking our, our false assumption and maybe some false narratives of things that we believe and we think shaking our false idols that we constantly bow down to and false ideologies of things that we have bought into that is not truth. And guess what? That's not fun. It's not. We find ourselves in this weird, cultural, critical moment. We find ourselves in a critical junction of our nation. And Daniel says, listen, I saw these things and my spirit was so grieved within me. Even prophets grieve. In fact, I think they probably grieve a little more than the rest of us. But here's the key. And this is a word for somebody this weekend. You cannot get stuck in this stage of grief. Hear me, grief and dealing with things, it's unique to the person as your fingerprint. But we have to give allowance for people to grieve and get over some of the things that they've been through because you don't know their COVID story. You don't know what they're dealing with inside their family. Everybody's going to process that in the old, in a different way, in, a, in their own way. But you have to walk through it and emerge. Why? Because saints, wake up. We have a job to do. You have a job to do. You can not get so discouraged that you take your eyes off of why you are still here. We are here to speak truth and love. We are here to preach the gospel. We are here to seek and save the lost. Verse 18 says, But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever and forever. See, we don't believe in happily ever after. We believe in happily forever after. We believe in eternity that is a promise to us, and you will inherit it if you are a believer today. The question is, what do you do in the meantime? What do you do with all the uncertainty, with all the anxiety? I don't have all those answers, but I do know a good place to start. You pray like it depends on God, and you do everything that you've got like it depends on you. You've got to work. You've got to talk. You've got to advance relationships and not be afraid of the gospel of Jesus Christ and not be ashamed of your Jesus. The purpose of studying eschatology, the end times. It's not to figure out plot lines and how everything's going to go in a timeline. That's great and all. But the goal is preparing ourselves for the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's coming back, guys. Eschatology is a great reminder. Get ready for the part that God wants you to play now. Do everything in your power to see his kingdom come and his will be done right now right here. Let me, let me use this COVID ongoing crisis as a kind of a case study, and I'm going to close out with this today. So we're not really sure, like this weird ripple effect that, that's going to come from what we've been through, right? We're not sure what all of society is going to end up looking like, what the economy will end up doing for the church, you know, for that matter, like down the road, like, you know, it's not looking too good, but it's also not as bad as it was when it first started. So like, I want to push the envelope a little bit. I think uncertainty can be crippling 
if we're not careful. I think watching the news will cripple you in fear if it's all you do. And we are not a people who just lets things happen to us. We are the people who make things happen. Why? Because we are prayer warriors. And when you call on the name of God and you speak the name of Jesus, mountains have to move. Seas have to split. Lions' mouths have to shut. And so listen, I, I think we take all the precautions like we're seeing new spikes. Every time I drive by church, there's more cars out by that stupid tent and people are getting sticks shoved back up their nose. And I'm like, oh, great, here we go again, right? So take precautions you, as you feel you know, compelled to do so. That's how you love your neighbor, right? But let me take it a step further. I don't, don't, don't take it laying down. Don't take it sitting down. We're two years into this thing, so we get it. Prep for it. What do you do if it comes around again? What do, what do you do if you get it again? right? We'll prepare. Sleep more now. Start exercising now so that, you know, get some cardio in so that your lungs will have better capacity to breathe, like prep that you're training for a marathon. Me, I'll just prep for jogging around the block without passing out. Like, so all those things, right? Prep is critical. And I guess the question is, what does that have to do with eschatology? Well, I think we take the exact same approach. I can't tell you when Jesus is going to return. People that think that they can are wackos. God says not even the Son of Man knows. And that's pretty hard since they are three yet one. So I, that's not the issue. The issue is, are you ready? Are you prepared? I've never felt more dependence on the Holy Spirit in my life than I do right now. We need to be spirit-filled. We need to be spirit-led every single day. You've got to get into God's word and stop putting it off and stop playing church. You've got to let God's word get in you and memorize it so that you know you need to get into a regular habit of prayer. Pray like it depends on God and you need to love, you need to work, you need to go and open up your mouth like it depends on you. Verse 28 can I just remind us before we read this, don't lose faith in the end of the story. The Ancient of Days is still on his throne and he's never moving. 28, this is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, waking up from that dream, was deeply troubled for my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. I'm concerned about the countenance of our country. We need an extra measure of grace for each other right now. God knows we need an extra dose of wisdom right now on how to deal with some of the calamity and the anger and the hatred in our world. We need an extra measure of courage right now to stand up and not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not a moment, church, for you to bury your head in the sand. It's a moment for you to stand in the gap. You know what the word priest means? Bridge builder. Your job, my job, as the priests, all of us, as the messengers, the mouthpiece of God, that's what he calls you, is to go out and build the bridge, bring other people to God Almighty, bring people to the foot of the cross. We are the peacemakers. We are the reconcilers. 
we are the repairers of the breach, according to Isaiah 58, 12. That means you're a fixer of the divide between God and man. You are the one that brings people to Jesus Christ who bridged that gap for us by the cross. What are you doing with that information? What are you waiting for? Now is the time, church, to open up your mouths. It's not the time to be ashamed. Now is the time to believe. Now is the time, even more than ever before, to teach your children to believe and to not quit on God's holy church and to pack out his local church with as many people as possible that do not know the Savior. And maybe everything that's happened in this weird blip of the last two years, now going, feeling like on three, just maybe it's gotten you down. Maybe it's changed your countenance. Maybe you've lost your courage. Maybe you've even lost faith. Let me ask you, how do you, how do you get it back? I don't know fully, but I do know a place to start. And it's to believe the promises of God over your life again. So today I'm going to pronounce a blessing over you. It comes from the book of Numbers. And I pray it might awaken your weary soul. If you're tired, if you're worn out. I pray that this blessing might speak a peace that will transcend, that will go above, that will blow the box that you've shoved God in just completely apart and that the peace of God that makes literally no sense to humanity would overwhelm you and surround your mind and guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. I pray that this blessing might reignite your passion for the Lord, for you to walk out this life with the purpose that you have been given to go and seek and save the lost while there's still time left. I want you to stand and listen to these words with me. Number 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. That is our confidence. That is why we don't lose faith. That is how we prepare for his coming. That is how we live every single day day from here on out. This has been another podcast of GenesisChurch.tv with Scott Hunter, lead pastor of Genesis Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Tune in each Sunday at 929 or 1101 on YouTube, Vimeo, Facebook, and live.GenesisChurch.tv or visit us in person at 4070 Mission Road here in Tallahassee. Catch us for weekly messages and midweek interviews and encouragement here on the GenesisChurch.tv podcast.